Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and fire can coexist peacefully. This was now finest. Today's episode of Petri Dish is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so that you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member, and you can too. It's really easy. You just need to apply to become a member, and you're immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's at podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Hey, guys. It's Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And today we're joined by our guest star, kind of local horticulturalist. I'm back. Andre Day. Beautiful. Hey guys, we're going to take a bit of a departure today. As you guys know, kind of a science uh, podcast, a little comedy spin, you know? But today we're going to go off the bean track and we're going to talk about something that I think actually has a lot of uh, scientific themes, something that touches all of our lives. Uh, Daft Punk's over. Yes. You know, and so for this pod, we're going to explore Daft Punk and generally their influence on modern genetic engineering and robotics. Yeah, definitely the robotics part. I don't know if they were dabbling that much in, like, start at home, do-it-yourself CRISPR kits or anything. You think but... French Canadians just look like that, Sean? Like, yeah, that's CRISPR, dude. French that's Canadians? Why... Were they French Canadian? Yeah. They weren't just straight up French? Uh, were they French or French Canadian? Uh, Daft Punk? I think they're French. You dumb <laughs> slut. This whole fucking setup. <laughs> just so you can not actually know who Daft Punk is. <laughs> Look, I talked with a French Canadian guy once and he was really emphatic that he was French. <laughs> was, was the first Daft Punk song you heard Get Lucky? You poser. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> the first well, one you heard that Kanye song. <laughs> no, I mean, well, it's complicated, right? Because the first one I heard was that, you know, the the one that's like, Oh, fuck. What's that first really famous song they did? Which, which one? You know, the one that's like, it's anime, and like, the aliens are coming in, and like, Toei Animation did it with them. My, my, wait, wait. My point was, is that like, I didn't really know Daft Punk was people, till like, Get Lucky. Like, I knew their music. I just was kind of confused if it was a genre, I mean, if it was a band. I thought it was from 1972. Like, I didn't know what Daft Punk was. Well, they've been around a while, right? Not that long, but... <laughs> yeah, they've been around since 93, actually. Mm-hmm. So they are f***ing old. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah that is. They're f***ing old. Eh. Yeah. Well, but also, to what you said earlier, they're not necessarily people, they're French. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Sean, I need to give this to my company. (laughs) Well, but see, here's the thing, though, is if you just stay quiet for a second, you can actually hear just the clamoring of all the French people that are already mad at us about this episode because it's about wine. That's the topic of this episode. Okay, guys, so on today's episode, we're talking about wine. Wine is actually a topic. A lot of people on Twitter were pretty excited that we were yeah. going to talk about wine. I can understand, you know, yeah. like a lot of uh, a lot of booze hounds on Twitter, right. a lot of drunk people. You know, ever since Monsanto's got in the game, there's a lot of chemicals in wine, a lot of things flowing around, and we want to figure out what's toxic, what's not. You know? Wow. 
well, that's <laughs> up. Anyway, so what we are going to cover is we're going to talk about how wine is produced, sort of where some of the sources of complexity in wine come from, and whether there is any complexity in wine. Well, we'll dig into that. Some stuff about sulfites. And yeah, we'll go from there. All right. All right, so let's do this thing. First things first, we should establish how wine is actually made, at least its most consistent and regularized process. Sure. You know, Andre actually is starting a hydroponic experiment in grapes. So, Andre, how do you make, how do you grow and cultivate grapes for wine? So, I, ha- I haven't actually started growing <laughs> hydroponic grapes yet, although I'm considering it. Uh, I, I want to yeah. know, I want to know why it isn't a thing. Right. I found out that, you know, so this is a step more fucked up, but that there's actually fake wine in the sense of, People trying to, like, from a chemistry perspective, mix oh. stuff together to make as a final product. That's totally something I wanted to ask you about during this episode. That's fascinating. Yeah, they'll take water and they'll take pure ethanol, mix them together, <laughs> and then they're like, we probably need to add other stuff. And yeah, then they well, start tossing other things just in. Just take different extracts from grape juice or whatever. Right. Kind know? of, yeah, yeah. yeah. So juice they'll add in tannins and different phenolic Dude, compounds. I'll bet that's how they make Charles Shaw. Two buck chuck. I mean, you, I remember back in high school, dude, I had to get a bunch of wine for a party. All I did was I got a big vat of Everclear and I just put a little dye in it. <laughs> 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 and, and then I was ran out of town. That's actually funny because <laughs> apparently in blind... In tastes that make you blind, Everclear is a big hit. <laughs> in some taste tests, if you take white wine and you add food coloring to it to make it look like red Indistinguishable wine... Indistinguishable from red wine. I've heard of that. Yeah, oh, yeah oh people my. will say that they taste red wine notes in it <laughs> nailed it anyway hey, okay we we taste with our eyes first sean yeah and then with our butts um okay let's 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 actually talk about how wine is produced okay i saw that i love lucy episode so i know that people use their feet mm. that's where the yeast comes from right it, it's <laughs> yeah, cultured yeah. on on women's bare feet right? and that's how it gets in the wine probably back in the day quinn tarantino's like opening a wine place now <laughs> <laughs> it's just called foot wine <laughs> all natural yeast well there's already barefoot wine right yeah, that's already that's a thing okay First, you got to pick the grapes. You probably have to grow the grapes, but then you have to pick the grapes. Right. Uh, that's actually... I a feel con- like we're glossing over a lot by not even mentioning the growing part, but how do I know? <laughs> you walk into a place, you've killed the people there first, and then you get the big grape. You pick yeah, them. Yeah, well, sometimes there's also wild grapes. Maybe you pick those. That's true. Anyway, point. then Good you point. crush the grapes into a must. Right. That gets musk from the feet. And then sort of sometimes you will press the grape must to get the juice more separated from solids, but not always. Okay. And it's the timing of it can change. You need to do a little primary fermentation, okay? That's using yeast to take sugar in the grape juice. You say little, but primary fermentation (laughs) is the bulk of the fermentation. Yeah, well, so basically on a kind of weight percentage, sugar turns into alcohol in winemaking in sort of a half percent per percent. So like 24% sugar will turn into 12% alcohol wine. And yeah, you want that to be pretty much done. Yeah, about ninety nine percent of that happens during the first, right during the primary fermentation. If you're going to be having a sparkling wine, then usually you'll add in some more sugar and yeast, and then depending on your method of getting the sparkles, like champagne style, right? The traditional style is fermented 
in the bottle, basically. The, right. the bubbling part happens yeah. there. Right. Whereas, That's why you can't point champagne bottles at people. The cork shoots out of velocity, just goes right through the eye. Well, don't do that anyway. No, yeah. but with Prosecco, it just bounces right off the lid. <laughs> no. Prosecco is very carbonate. You're so naughty. Uh, so Prosecco is made with the Charmat method. And with that one, basically you bulk second ferment it in a steel tank that's sealed up yeah, and then you bottle, bottle them cold, I, right. I first read that as a charming method just like a guy <laughs> just jumps it in a toilet and just turns it off and flushes it a lot but stops up the bottom so it just burbles but that does mean prosecco and champagne they're different nathan right which i, I didn't know uh but kava is no made. i did i'm a good bartender <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I totally knew oh, how yeah. all the sparkling wines wait, wait, wait. i want to know which of the two ways kava is made i assume like prosecco no no kava is made the traditional style Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would Asti think, is made like Prosecco. Most of my experience with kava is that it's not usually as expensive as champagne. Right. Spanish but rural pot. I think it's delicious. I think kava is yeah, like no, it where is it's great. at. People buy kava. Okay. So how about After Welch's? Is Welch's done in the can? Or is Welch's, <laughs> <laughs> is Welch's in the vat? It's, it's done in the jar. Okay. It's done in the mouth. Beautiful. So there is an additional optional step to do secondary fermentation, okay? And this is malolactic fermentation. So that's not even yeast anymore. We're talking about bacteria. And the idea is in grapes, there are a lot of acids, Ooh. okay? And one of the acids is malic acid. And malic acid actually has kind of a sharp acidic taste to it. Right. I've heard it described as kind of like a green apple kind of taste. Okay. So like crisp, right? I know that taste. And... Sometimes you can drink wine and you have that taste and you're like, hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But other times you don't want that taste. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Hyper Heidsick makes an exclusive champagne for Vino Volo that has a very pronounced green apple taste to it. There you go. Dude. Uh, wow. I like to think they'll hear both of us on the spot and then fire me and keep on He's <laughs> just like clearly the better employee. <laughs> yeah. He fucking nailed that shit. Um, I was like intimidating. <laughs> okay. So what you can do if you don't want as much of that flavor right is you can do a secondary fermentation you add in some bacteria and the bacteria will turn that malic acid into lactic acid nice lactic acid you know that's in milk and stuff like that so mm. my, i have more of a background related to like beer and beer brewing and um in beer brewing there's a style of beer well it's many styles but there's sour beers and those are also made by introducing bacteria either with or after the first fermentation and like the ones that I've made, I bought specifically cultures of lactobacillus, which I know makes lactic acid. Is it the same bacteria that they use in wine as well? So you can use lactobacillus, but I think there are other lactic acid bacteria that are more used to using malic acid specifically. Because okay. lactobacillus, a lot of times are using sugars yeah, and turning it, them it, into lactic acid. It's using acid. the complex sugars that the yeast can't ferment. Right. So in this case, because you're mainly converting the malic acid over, there are other specific strains of bacteria that are kind of more accustomed to doing that process. That makes sense. So yeah, and lactic acid is usually characterized as a more mellow acidic flavor than malic acid. So it's not as sharp and it kind of has sort of a gentler tone to the wine. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So you can tell right off the bat, you know, we're barely in, but already wine flavors exist. Right. We're not coming at this. They're not purely like, psychosomatic. Right, right. That is kind of the point. Right. Is that like we do generally approach things with skepticism. Right. Okay. But it is definitely the I case. I know, dude. Well, I believe any conspiracy you throw my way. I don't know why I said it was the royal we. <laughs> Sean approaches things with skepticism. <laughs> um, 
and definitely in my younger and kind of more shithead years, <laughs> I would like drink wine and be like, this shit is all just grape juice with alcohol in it. Like right. it, it all tastes the same. Yeah. Bad. I don't right, like any of it. Right, sure. But in, in reality. Yeah, in reality, different wines taste different. That is true. Yeah. Right? And demonstrably on a chemistry level, they have different chemicals in them. That is scientific reality. Right. Okay? So like, I think it's important that we, you know, kind of establish. American wines have more sulfites. I can't drink them. It's <laughs> the main thing I hear at the bar. We'll talk about sulfites later. <laughs> anyway, so then usually what you do is you'll bulk age the wine. Sometimes in things like oak barrels, yeah. or sometimes, you know, kind of depending on the scale you're working at. Some people, when they're doing wine kits at home, will do them in carboys, you know, glass or plastic, and you can, like, toss... What the shit is a carboy? That sounds Car- like something it's from 1933. It's just a big glass jar. Like, yeah, it's a container. Know. Yeah. It's like a five-gallon glass jar. That has yeah. to be from the Great Depression, right? Like, I kept mine in a carboy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like fun industrial. Yeah, know? I had like... to file my whole factory of carboys. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> nice. The Henry Ford factory had to fire a lot of carboys. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Anyway, but, you know, when you're doing it in a carboy, there isn't oak around right. to, like, get some of that oaky flavor, right. which, by the way is an actual chemical situation. There are actual chemicals in oak wood. Right. That the, the main flavor component of the oak wood is actually very similar to vanillin, which is, you know, which is the, the flavor that is Yeah, unrelated to vanilla, vanilla, it turns out. <laughs> it's actually, a common misnomer. It, it's a very solid vanilla smell. Yeah. Right. And I know that from, in my PhD, I made nanoparticles that had vanillin loaded in them. Oh. Yeah. It smelled uncharacteristically nice for my lab. Uh, I know mine from my education at uh, uh, Oxford, where wow. I drank scotch. <laughs> I don't remember much of what I learned there, but I drank a lot of scotch and a lot of those oaky vanilla flavors. God, what a sassy bitch you are. Um, okay, and then, after you do this bulk aging, you can clarify and stabilize the wine. Right. And the reason for that is a lot of times wine will come out of the, well, this entire process so far, kind of cloudy and with stuff floating in it. It's not really clear yet, or, you know, I mean, even sometimes you'll have a bottle of port or something and there's a bunch of gunk in it. Yeah. Or even more of it at this point. So okay. do you just, like, centrifuge it at such a fast rate for so many years that it just, like, kind of, like, decays I, radioactively out of the glass? I don't know that winemakers actually centrifuge their wine. Yeah, I do know that there are, like, filtration good. processes, and then there's also things you can add that, like, they're like particles that have charges that attract the sediment and then fall out of solution. That's cool. Yeah, so actually, those are roughly the two main ways. Gravity will do what <laughs> centrifuging does much better. Right? <laughs> right, right. Gravity <laughs> is <laughs> nature's shitty centrifuge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you can use gravity, and in some cases, you'll help gravity along by making the little chunky stuff Big chunky stuff. And you can do that several ways. You can do that charge-based. You can also do that by adding things like clays, which will like literally gum up stuff and have stuff stick to the clay. Oh. Or sometimes use gelatin, which is actually why some wines are not vegan, is because they will have had gelatin during their production process. Ah. You know, I really like non-vegan wines that just have chicken blood in them. Sure. Like, yeah. that's why it's red. It's yeah. actually just white wine with some chicken blood in it. It's for color and flavor. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a moral choice. <laughs> and it's still kosher. <laughs> yeah, still kosher. That's the name of the label. Still kosher. <laughs> um, a uh, rabbi killed this chicken. You can also use filters, yeah, to be able to filter stuff out. And the actual stuff that's floating around in wine, some of that is like dead yeast, dead bacteria. But also, at this point, you still might have some just, like, 
mashed up bits of grapes mm-hmm. and some, you know, leftover skin or something. Yeah, sure. And then there's a lot of tartaric acid. Cool. Um, that basically, it's a fermentation product. Okay. And it's not very soluble in alcohol. So right. as the alcohol content rises in your wine, the tartaric acid will bind to potassium and then create an insoluble salt. Tartaric acid is also known as cream of tartar. Yeah. Uh, and if you've ever used it in baking and wondered why it's a powder and not anything that resembles cream, when you scoop it off the vats of fermenting wine, it apparently is very much like like scooping the cream off the top of uh like unhomogenized milk. I swear to God, Andre, before the episode and you said that, I was like, look at Andre being a funny guy here. It's not like tartar. <laughs> no, it's actually <laughs> like <that>. a total. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing. That's super interesting. <laughs> um, and yeah, actually, so sometimes if you're drinking a white wine, usually the tartaric acid crystals, uh, the potassium bitartrate, I guess at that point, those crystals look almost like little pieces of sand or something mm-hmm. in the glass. But usually during the entire kind of winemaking process, those crystals get kind of bound up with a bunch of other gunk. And then yeah. they form like big just clumps of shit in there. Yeah. So you get rid of that. And then you bottle up the wine. And then usually you age it a little bit more. And then, you know, kind of how long you age it for. Most wines are not meant to be aged for very long in right. a bottle, realistically. And then you drink it. Mm. And that's it. That's the episode. We did it, <laughs> you guys. Boom. Nailed okay. It. Well, we are going to take a break. <laughs> but after that... There's actually a lot more to talk about. We gotta talk about the complexity of wine. Yes. Chemically. Wow. Woo! The following is an actual advertisement. Hi, I'm Jules from Riddle Me That True Crime. I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold, and Jules and I want to tell you a little bit about a case that means a great deal to us. The death of nine-month-old baby Jacob Landin on April the 10th, 1987 in Socorro, New Mexico. The day prior to his death, on April 9th, baby Jacob was being watched by his mother Brenda's new boyfriend John, not his real name, in his mobile home on 1453 Fatima Drive. While John was babysitting Jacob, Jacob would incur what would be his second head injury in a period of weeks. The prior head injury was a subdural hematoma, or brain bleed, and it was serious enough that it needed to be lanced to take pressure off baby Jacob's brain while being monitored by doctors over the course of several days. The circumstances surrounding how Jacob was injured and subsequently died are murky at best, with the suspect giving multiple versions of the events of the day, ranging from Jacob choking and accidentally hitting his head while trying to dislodge a cookie, to Jacob falling and John returning to see the injured infant. The suspect also reportedly confessed to two officers that he was indeed responsible, but there is no paper or audio record of this confession in the police file. The reasons given by the DA for not pursuing the case are confusing as well, with one of the reasons being that they were worried that John would file charges against the state. It was the opinion of the doctors that baby Jacob was struck in the head and this was no accident. In the years to follow, John goes on to sexually abuse young Eric, who well as physically abusing his mother Brenda and emotionally abusing and isolating them both, making the world very small. During the autopsy, layers of abuse seem to be present. A healing rib fracture from around the time of the first head injury is also discovered. It's impossible to say exactly when the injury took place, but what is clear is that someone was abusing young Jacob, and that person was most likely John. Eric Landine, Jacob's brother, has been fighting to get justice for him. However, he faces some obstacles such as the statute of limitations of six years on second-degree murder that State Representative Bill Ream has petitioned to have overturned. 
Join Robin and I, as well as criminologist, Dr. Ashley Wellman, an investigative expert, a legal expert, a forensic psychiatrist, as well as Jacob's brother, Eric, as we explore all angles of this case and try to bring awareness, understanding, and hopefully, ultimately, justice for Jacob. The series starts on March the 1st. Tune in on your favorite podcast app. So what are we talking about? (laughs) So we went through those steps. And even within those steps, you know, a couple of things were optional here and there. Right. There, there's a little bit of flex room for when you do a certain step. And there's a lot of details that we left right. out. We did not talk about growing the grapes at all. Right. Which, <laughs> to be fair, is actually the most important part when it comes to wine quality is grape quality. Right. All the stuff that you do after the grape. What's the saying? It's some shit like a... Wine is made in the vineyard or something like that. Right. In the sense that, like, it's the grape part that really contributes the most to the quality right. of wine. As opposed to the modern understanding, which is wine is made in the marketing room. <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about brand. That's beautiful. So, Did uh, I ever tell you about my favorite Australian wine, Sean? No. Did I ever tell you about Ballbuster? No. Okay, so they have it at Costco. It's this hilarious wine. It's called Tate, which I think is itself kind of a fun provocative name. And the other side, it has a full description. It's from Australia. It's this big Shiraz. And the description's like, I wanted to make me a real elegant wine. Something reminded me of the flavor of my wife. <laughs> but then instead came out this big ball buster of a wine. That's why I called it ball buster. Drink it! <laughs> and, and that's like... <laughs> that's a guy who... It happened in the vineyard, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> the magic of the sun, dude. Yeah. Australians get too much sun. Yeah. A lot of skin cancer down there. Yeah. Um, okay. Wine is a natural product. And as with a lot of natural products, and kind of like what we talked about last week with Dr. Julian and everything, they have a bunch of shit in them. Right. Right? There's a lot of chemicals in grapes. Right. Okay? And it's not like things get less complicated when the fermentation process happens. Mm. Okay? So there are a lot of things going on, and, you know, that can... You can have variables based off of what cultivar of grape you use, for example, right? So all of those things can vary that. For example, when you're picking the grapes, that can be done by hand or by machine. Right. uh, Or by robot. Which is a fusion Ro- of the two. Robots are machines. I mean, a cyborg. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is now, now I'm just picturing Daft Punk harvesting grapes. <laughs> Daft Punk! <laughs> no, Daft Punk, no! <laughs> so, you know, during that harvesting process, when you have a person doing it, yeah. they can pay a lot of attention to, like, the quality of the grape when they're taking it off the vine, right? Like, right. Like, they can actually leave ones that aren't ready yet behind Ones that have rot on them or have some kind of fungal growth, they can also not include that yeah. stuff. Cyborgs, though, they're just like, whoop, 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 whoop. All those grapes go in. Yeah, and sometimes other birds' nests. You know, what? like oh, random wow. shit just like hanging around. Oh, yeah, huh. So like... Complexity of flavors. <laughs> yeah. That's a funny brand, right? Yeah, so the, the whole vineyard. <laughs> so the best wines are harvested by machine. Yeah, yeah, they get yeah. the other flavors. <laughs> no, so, so the point is, though, that there is a difference there, right? And that's already just at the, the harvesting step. Right. And then there's a lot of other added complexities to things like what do you keep in your must, the post-crushing process. Okay. Right. For example, there are some grapes where the grapes themselves are very low in tannins, but you might be trying to make a medium tannin wine. So for that, you might leave the stems in. Because right. the stems are actually extremely high in tannins. So yeah. are the leaves, grape leaves, extremely high in tannins. Right. Usually 
a super unpleasant amount of tannins. Yeah. But you just leave them in for a little bit. Right. If you wanted to make a really authentic grappa, you just give someone a bottle of twig. <laughs> Don't even bother to distill it. You just watch them eat it. Tear their mouth <laughs> and apart. Just laugh. Laugh at them. <laughs> so, so, you know, and then, and then within primary fermentation, what kinds of yeasts you use, right? Because some places you might be able to just rely on wild yeast. All grapes got them. All right. fruits got them. There, right. There's yeast all the f damn over the place, right? So there's a lot of yeast on them already, and you can ferment wine using that yeast, but you might have a very variable product. You might not get the same result every time. And some yeasts kind of more actively contribute to spoilage of wine. So right. relying on the wild yeast can be kind of a dangerous prospect. Right. Is that at all related to the, I don't know, reputation of a vineyard, though? Like, are some vineyards like... Like Parmigiano, like you gotta, you gotta have the wild bacteria in there. You don't add any culture. Regionally, it makes sense that the yeasts would be different region to region. Right. Yeah. So a lot of places will not necessarily pre-kill any wild yeast. Right. Okay. In that, you know, once you crush the grapes, you won't necessarily kill any yeast that are there right now. Right. You'll just add a lot more of the specific controlled yeast that you want. Interesting. And then they'll mostly outcompete the wild right. yeast. But you still can say things like, oh, well... You know, this vineyard's been around for 300 years. Right. There's a bunch of yeast in, like, just the f air in the processing room where we crush right. the grapes. Sure. So you're going to get some of that special yeast flavor that's more than just what we're makes adding. Sense. Is there, like, a new versus old world distinction at all? Like, I mean, our French people are like, we have never added yeast. And, like, in Napa Valley, we're just like, oh, just chugging yeast. Pretty much any kind of vineyard that has a solid reputation where they can consistently put out a good product adds yeast okay do not use just the wild yeast okay okay because if you use the wild yeast it can be very seasonal it's such variable. a big variable like, yeah so okay. and you might just have entire batches that are ruined mm. okay just because maybe you got a little bit extra of that one yeast that's not good there's an entire genus of yeast yeah. that can spoil wine yeasts are very capable of producing very different flavors in and of themselves right that makes sense you know, again my experience is more related to beer but you could take the same base beer made with the same base malts, use two different yeasts and get two entirely different flavors. You know, like that banana-y like flavor you get in like Hefeweizens comes from the yeast, not anything else. Right. That it sounds like a really good way if you don't like a customer to get them to leave is you just lean in and you're like, all of our wines have added yeast. <laughs> and they're like, ah, <laughs> I want biodynamic wild yeast wine. We're going to talk about biodynamic later. Okay, don't don't bring it in now. Okay, don't spoil it. I'm a Leo. <laughs> I don't want to drink your wine. <laughs> but okay, okay, okay. So, um, what's my wine's horoscope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are all just like way We're jumping, jumping the, the gun. gun. <laughs> way, way more related to our episode than you'd think. Yeah, okay. But I think actually... Andre's point kind of dovetail into one thing that I did want to mention in this section, which is that in terms of smell and taste, we can detect a relatively small amount of a molecule in there. Okay? Right. We might not be able to pick out that specific molecule, yeah. but we can tell that it's there. It can change the overall taste of something. Right. At like pretty small amounts, like one in a million molecules being that thing. Damn. Sometimes even less. So okay? all this shipping and wine does matter. Yeah. And so that is why, like to Andre's point about Hey, look, even a relatively closely related subspecies of yeast might prefer to make a little bit more 
of some molecule right. while it's doing fermentation. And depending on what temperature it ferments at, too, it'll produce more or less of that m- molecule as well. Right. They're living right. things. They got their preferences. Right. A subspecies of yeast is a lot like members of BTS. It's like they kind of look similar, but like actually one of them, they got different, like some are for singing, some are for dancing. Oh, you yeah. But uh, cook them up with different producers. They make totally different banana-y kind of Hefeweizen flavors. Yeah, don't let J-Hope sing. Yeah. <laughs> that's mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> Okay, and then I would say that chemistry is very involved here, okay, because there's a lot of chemistry concepts that came into my mind while I was reading all of this stuff. For example, there are molecules that are much more soluble in alcohol than they are in water and vice versa. That's why we like to cook with alcohol as well. Sure, yeah, especially, you know, like, and and why you might add alcohol in when you're deglazing or something Mm, like that. Right. But also in this process, you might be keeping things like the grape skins in, right? And depending on how long you leave them in for, how much alcohol they are exposed to might change how many phenolic compounds are pulled out, for example. Because those are more hydrophobic, they like alcohol more than water, okay? So all of that, the kind of balance of timing and different solvents, aqueous and organic solvents, right? right? That's all chemistry shit, okay? So that that is all completely legit. Don't ruin my wine magic with your chemistry. (laughs) No, I'm gonna. Mr. Science, man. (laughs) That's what this whole episode's about, is ruining for you. I'm glad you talk fast, because when you said chemistry concepts, I was about to jump in and be like, solubility. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you almost uh, nailed it. Uh, <laughs> ion channel. <laughs> uh, you know, stoichiometry. You're doing like, great. Just like panic from the Siagon chemistry years ago. Well, those are all real words. So I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm good. I'm decent at English. <laughs> okay, but yeah, okay, okay, cool. Okay, so I think broadly, the sort of uh, scientific consensus that I was reading out there is that, hey, look, Complex flavors in wine and all that shit, that is real. Yeah. Okay. It's not bullshit. Sometimes people might, you know, decide it tastes a certain way or something. Like, oh, that's it's got like a real butterfingers kind of, you know. <laughs> butterfingers? <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is a direct quote from a sommelier once. Wow, really? To me. Was like, can you guys taste the kind of like a... It's like a Snickers or like kind of like a Butterfingers. <laughs> and you just like threw your wine glass at his head. I had a really bad attitude. At the time, <laughs> yeah. So it did not help. <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't. <laughs> Look, I hate everything about this. I want to go to college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was, oh, was this a Coco Noche? This was for the Noche. That yeah. was super illegal, dude. You were, I'm not going to say what age you were. You I spat it out. It was at home. That's true. And you hated... Oh, you're, was, you're allowed to get wasted at home. Was a mom? <laughs> no. I was like, oh, you know, this wine has butterfinger notes. Mom brought a sommelier in. Oh. And then we, you know, tasted the wine and then spat it out All in right. a bucket. Oh, cool. I was cool. very Gross. legit about it. Gross. Because I wasn't going to swallow. Sure. And then Uncle Roger just drank from the bucket. Sean, don't swallow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop <laughs> this conversation. <now. laughs> anyway, <laughs> wine is complex. That is real. Mm. I, I fully actually believe at this point, even though I personally cannot appreciate wine very much. I like drink it. It's fine. But like, I, I Are fully you trying believe, to get us fired? I fully, <laughs> no, no, no. Everyone on this pod loves wine. Wow. What? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I fully believe that there is chemical complexity in wine. Right. Okay. And that chemical complexity is certainly enough. There's enough of those molecules for it to make a difference in flavor. Okay, okay? cool. So wine has gotten the science vote. Yeah. Wine is scientific. Yes. Okay, that's cool. And I think the remaining part here is going to be a question of what creates that complexity, really. You know what I mean? Like, what contributes? Because there's a lot of things that people will bring up. It's whether or not there's a full moon, right? (laughs) Right, 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 There's things. Hey, (laughs) or the terroir. Right. How do you say that? Terroir, I think. I don't want to be wrong. 
I mean, you guys are the workers at this place. I mean, I thought it was terroir, but now I'm insecure. Sound, sounded good to me, Sean. I think because it's French, right? Yeah. It's like French for terrain or something. So yeah. Like, terroir. Yeah. Rawr. No, you uh, had it right the first time. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <It's terroir. laughs> anyway, but we're, we're going to talk about all that stuff to see like, hey, what's going on here, right? Do these elements actually contribute to the complexity? Right. Or is it all just like grape chemistry, right? right. You know, like, is, is that what we're really talking about? So, you know. This is, should be apparent by this point in the episode, but Andre and I work at the same wine bar. And one of the things that I was really surprised to learn when I got into wine is that there's different types of grapes. Okay. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I thought there was like grapes with seed or no seed, right? <laughs> and it turns out there's there's like all these different varieties. There's Zinfandel. There's Caminere. There's like Merlot and Sauvignon Blanc, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's like a lot of different types of grapes. And sometimes it gets a little confusing. Like it turns out Cab Sav is Cab Franc. Sav Blanc, which I had no clue. I wish I'd said that in a way I wouldn't have to cut anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I've always been kind of curious. All these different varieties, is this just like a, are they actually that different? Is it like some sort of historical, like just kind of weird cultural anthropological reason they're different names? And I know sometimes that is true. Are there more grapes now than there used to be or vice versa? Like what's going on? Right, yeah, and you know, it's good that a lot of people love wine because it means that scientists have actually taken the time to do things like do full genome mapping on yeah. like every currently used type of wine making grape. Yeah, right. All the attention that should have gone to ethnic minorities goes into wine. <laughs> well, that, that, so, somebody definitely spent some money on this. Is all I gotta say. <laughs> um, and you know, so it, it's actually it is very interesting the kind of story of diversity in the grape world. Wild grapes exist all over the world, mostly in the Northern Hemisphere, right. but in the Americas and then also in Europe and Asia. Right. There are wild grapes all over the place. Right. And it's not entirely clear how many domestication events actually happened. Right. So at least one, obviously. Right, right, but, sure. but it could have been multiple domestication <laughs> but events. that one event, Sean, was on Mars! <laughs> and then in a pyramid, the aliens came down and gave us wine. So, current grapes are actually... Uh, I'm offended you just moved on from that. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'm not always going to dwell. <laughs> current grapes are really nice because they are hermaphroditic. So, you can do a lot of different kinds of crossing if you want to. But also, they are very, very easy to spread in a vegetative way. So, you can just kind of lop off some and then grow some more of that clone, basically, of that exact... Right grape plant are they typically cloned like that or grafted so more recently they've been grafted because in the second half of the 1800s there was a bunch of different pathogens for grapes right that came over from the americas to europe whoops since wine cultivars were european right one of those like way 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 post-columbian exchange gifts that we gave to europe right was a bunch of diseases that like our native wild grapes had figured out how to deal with. Right. But European grapes had never seen before. So then they needed our rootstocks. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, just revenge. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm never going to say Europeans didn't deserve it. <laughs> okay. But it did really f*** up their vineyards. It f*** right. up their vineyards a lot. To the yeah. point where actually, in terms of winemaking grape diversity, the diversity has been cut by a shitload. Right. The winemaking varieties that exist today, the cultivars that exist today, are a very small subset of what was being done in like 1800. Interesting. So whole varieties died out. Yeah. Wow. Yes. But, I mean, and you wonder, like, we're talking about all these mammals and plants dying off. It's like, who even cares? We live yeah. in a fallen world with less wine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Exactly. Yeah. 
make a tiger wine for me and maybe I'll change my mind. <laughs> okay, but see, the thing is though, like that is variety in terms of the actual winemaking grapes. In terms of the wild grape diversity, right? there is just as much biodiversity out there accessible to us right now. That's interesting. And because there was so much sort of vegetative and engrafting kind of spread of grapes, the grapes that we use today are not actually that distantly related from wild grapes. They haven't domesticated or changed that much. Oh, I can't think of a time I've ever heard of anybody coming up with their own new grape variety. Right. Unlike some things, like I know people create like new types of peppers all the time. And, yeah, and yeah, which is interesting because actually these grape varieties are very easy to cross to each other. Sure. And they cross very easily with wild grapes. And so I was reading a whole paper where they were saying basically there's this huge untapped genetic potential mm. There's a lot of crosses that could be totally viable and could be very interesting to make wines out of. It's just, I think, people have figured out how to make really awesome wines out of these varieties. Right. There's a lot of name recognition with these yeah. varieties. So it's, it would be an uphill battle, right? right, right. You, you'd it's, create this a, whole new variety of grape, and right. then you'd, now you'd have to like get people to even know what the hell it is. Yeah, um, there's this big right. activation cost to like actually setting up a whole vineyard where you make experimental wines out right. of grapes. Like, yeah. I don't know about that, right? right. So. Yeah. So that's not being done, but, you know, if you look at the currently used varieties, most of them are very closely related to each other. They're yeah, either... I didn't know Chardonnay and Gamay was so similar. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them are only a few steps away from, like, one central hub wine that basically is, like, the parent of all current varietals mm. uh, that are grown. Gamay. Yeah, so, you know. Cool. They're all really closely related, and that is both cool and maybe something, I mean, I don't know. Maybe someday Andre has a lot of money. He can start a vineyard where he makes experimental grapes. Oh, very cool. Well, I've seen like documentaries and stuff about uh, a different plant, namely cannabis, where people... <laughs> were, no, serious, so I've heard no, telltale. <laughs> look, some serious breeding has gone into creating different strains and whatnot. Sure. And there are people who literally travel the world to find wild hemp plants and collect pollen from those to try and find new genetic traits that don't exist in like commercially grown plants that's cool yeah well i mean also for a plant that's much harder to grow like apples actually a lot of work goes into figuring out yeah. new fucking kinds of apples too right? there's so many more apples now than when we were kids yeah dude yeah and apples from when we were kids sucked ass <laughs> i'm a little embarrassed i went to the farmer's market recently with stacy and there's like a lot of apples on sale at one particular place and i was like they just painted them over there's only one type of apple juicy red <laughs> red delicious you yeah, yeah. You piece of you didn't even get that one right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds now. There's like galactic ass blast and like all sorts of stuff. It's it's really cool. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So next thing, I think a hot topic in the wine world. Yeah. This is where we're getting controversial. Sulfites. Mm. Okay. Wine labels usually say how much sulfites are in there, especially if they're above what's they called. They say how much? I'm usually just used to seeing con the words contains sulfites. So my understanding is if, if it has more than 10 parts per million, you have to label it as having contained sulfites. So it's like a threshold thing. Okay. Hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a bottle of wine that didn't have those two words printed on the label. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to not have any sulfites. Some sulfites are just naturally occurring in wine. Yeah. I'm not sure if the naturally occurring amount is less than 10 parts per million, but usually people add sulfites in also. Because sulfites are apparently awesome. 
it's also right. so sulfur dioxide, which is the kind of like mainly what sulfites are or what sulfites turn into at some point in the right. wine. Yeah, like sulf like is refers to sulfur and ite is like a little little itty bitty <laughs> thing of it, right? It has so to sulfites do with how like many oxygen sulfur. Yeah, you're naughty. You're naughty. Um, so, <laughs> Sulfolita is what they call it in Spanish. Sulfur dioxide is a toxic gas. Okay. Okay. So we don't want that like, in wine then. Well hold on. Everyone calm down. Whoa twist. You shouldn't breathe it. Okay. It's uh, it comes out of, like volcanoes and when you burn coal and shit like that. Right. It contributes a lot to the smell of when you light a match. Oh, that's a good smell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also happens to be a very good antioxidant and antimicrobial. Okay, and it's used for both purposes in winemaking. Whereas in some other uses, it's used mainly as an antimicrobial. Okay. Although it's also used like a lot with dried fruits. You go to like Trader Joe's or something like that, and you it's buy to keep the color in the dried fruits, right? Right from oxidation. Yeah. Oh. So if you have like mango, dried mango slices, a lot of times someone will say contains sulfites. Right. And then other ones would be like sulfite free. That makes sense. So sulfites are kind of like um, lawful neutral. <laughs> Just cut that. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> you guys really had to think through that. That, that wouldn't have landed if you actually worked on it. That's a thinker. Um, okay, so it is a good antioxidant, and that means that it's added to red wines, for example, pretty early on in the process to try to preserve the red color. Yeah. Okay. It's also tossed into all kinds of wines to stop certain kinds of microbes like bacteria. Sometimes that's to keep like naughty ones from going. Like you don't want them to turn your wine into vinegar. Right. Okay. But also it's sometimes to stop even bacteria that you've added. Get those acetobacters out of here. Yeah. You acetobacters. They're bad. Well, this time, but I like vinegar. So it's like kind of, you know, keep them around. Anyway, we mentioned uh, malolactic fermentation. Right. You like Aceto Baxter's the way you like me. Just like time and a place. Right? Just, <laughs> just a little bit here and there. <laughs> like once every couple of weeks. Yeah, you sprinkle it in. Okay? You don't want too much. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. That's actually not true. I can like drink straight up vinegar. So like you I can drink me straight up. There's <laughs> like gallons of Nate. <laughs> Fuck, what was I even saying? <laughs> You're the one who's like, I can drink gallons of you. Well, hold on. <laughs> Everyone calm down. Anyway, malolactic fermentation was what we mentioned earlier is one of the right. secondary fermentations you right. might do on purpose. Right. But at some point, you might want that to stop. That's right? when you pop in the sulfites. Yeah, you might want control over how much malic acid turns into lactic acid. Okay. And you can use sulfites to help control that. Do they people up though because i feel like sulfites is like the one kind of nagging question i'll get from folks is like oh does it contain sulfites and the answer is like yes and then and then it's like oh i can't drink that especially american sulfites a lot of people say sulfites give them headaches or other health problems my girlfriend doesn't drink wine not necessarily because of the sulfites but she always says it gives her a headache so here's part one of that question okay do people have sulfite allergies is it possible yes okay Maybe up to 1%. Of humans? Of humans. Well, that's not bad. It's definitely worse if you have asthma. So, so, scientifically, if you have asthma, you are more likely than someone without asthma to be allergic to sulfites. So what happens if you drink wine? You just get, like, anaphylactic shot? Yeah. Wow, okay. You can have trouble breathing. Wow. You can break out in hives. Right. And you can have enough of a reaction where you might need like an right. EpiPen or something. Because wine's going through the... Um, Esophagus. Yeah, like the pipe between the mouth and the stomach. Exactly. Esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Stacey was laughing. She was just sneezing. Yeah. That's, that's not as fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, so 
That is an allergic reaction to sulfites. Mm. Not a headache. A headache probably means something else. Right, okay. like there, you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, so maybe, maybe. There's a shitload of molecules in wine, okay? There's a lot of what are called phenolic compounds. Phenolic compounds, once they have access to your blood, usually get broken down in your liver, and in that process might make some sort of side products that can engage like serotonin receptors. Oh, who knows what they're going to get metabolized into. Yeah, All right. It, it's a whole wide world there. Okay. Deaky. And then also... Wines are a fermented aged product, which means they have tyramines. Right. Tyramines in people who are genetically susceptible are associated with migraines. Okay? Yeah. And that is true whether you're drinking wine or you're eating an aged cheese. Both of those have tyramine and both of those can give you headaches. Did we talk about tyramine in our aging episode? Yes. So well, tyramines. No, not the oh, aging, not episode. aging Which episode? Fermentation. Oh, my bad. And cheese. Both of them. My bad. So many episodes except for the aging episode. I'm just glad I remember the word. (laughs) Be proud of me. Yeah. Baby steps. Okay. Okay, cool. But the point is that that's in all kinds of fermented products. And so if you're genetically susceptible to that, you might have noticed you get migraines after eating and drinking a lot of different things. Right. Not just wine. Right. Okay. If it's just wine that's fucking you up every single time, maybe it's phenolic compounds. Probably not sulfites. Maybe you're just drinking too much wine. Yeah. You yeah. might you might be hungover. Yeah, right. I'm allergic <laughs> to sulfites. I have a hangover after my fourth bottle. I got on the topic of getting drunk. I found out that like statistically, yeah, people who drink a sparkling wine will end up with a higher blood alcohol content faster. Oh, is there? Well, why? They don't totally know. It's probably just because I mean, it's easier to drink. So just yeah, like, I was going to say, I can take a guess. Like, I can drink a bottle of sparkling wine a lot faster than I can drink a bottle of red th- wine. This, yeah. this was alcohol content controlled oh. at the input. Oh. Fucking scientists, dude. You're witty bastards. And, Maybe and it has something to do with the CO2 and permeating through your blood somehow. Something about having the bubbles in there mm. make no, it so actually, that it gets into your bloodstream easier. We should take a break, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about terroir and biodynamic shoe the big one yep the following is an actual advertisement entomology the study of the little six-legged critters that most people don't pay attention to my name is Erfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and starting June 16th we're going to learn a bit about a different entomologist every two weeks and discuss some of their most recent research this is Talking Bugs people knew In terms of ecology, we knew a lot about predators, we knew a lot about parasitoids, we knew very little about what pathogens were doing in the natural environment. Looks like it's just a cloud of bees. They have this emerging property of combined intelligence that tells them exactly how they should operate. Uh, If you've read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park, you know you want to be able to turn it off. You know, you want a safety lever in case something something goes wrong, and that was me. I was working on a safety lever. You can actually get them to survive in liquid helium, which is you know, <laughs> minus 260 degrees, which is, you know, uh, 180 degrees colder than has ever been recorded anywhere on the planet. You can do this, you just have to persevere. And so if it wasn't for Tim Dennehy, I'm... I'm quite sure I would not be sitting here today. Subscribe to this podcast or follow the YouTube channel Six-Legged Aggie to hear the most recent episodes as they are released. So, Sean, what's the deal with organic wine? What? We're not there yet. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> How drunk are you on wine? <laughs> Everyone's drinking wine right now. I Ar- had tequila and chicken. Terroir. 
okay? So terroir, I think, started out as a description of how some European wines tasted kind of earthy. That's interesting. Okay, so totally different from its modern yeah. meaning. Reason. Which my understanding was because of cork taint and unwanted wild yeast growth. So it was actually like a f*** up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, this, this is terroir-y-ass wine. <laughs> yeah, well, they're like, oh, well, European wines have this extra flavor that North American wines don't. And it was because, like... They had, like, dirtier. musty-ass <laughs> corks and, like, getting, like, wrong yeast in there. That's so naive, too, because you know the reason it was musky, the ones that came to America, is because a French guy, like, fucking farted in each one and was like, it's going to America. Pop! Cut the cork in. Send it off. I buy it. Yeah. So, now, terroir does not mean that. Now, people will say, like, Willamette Valley terroir or the Napa Valley terroir. Right. Like, like it's, like, an attribute of a place right. that... Add something specific to wine based off of that sense of place. Right, right? okay, okay. Um, but when they're saying that, I think a lot of times the characteristics they're talking about that might contribute are things like soil, climate, weather, actual, like, you know, what you might say is tradition or, like, uh, the particular quirks of production processes in that region or something. Mm -hmm. All of that contributing to a sense of place in wine. Right. And... Some of those things in that sentence sound reasonable to me. Okay. It wouldn't blow my mind if something like climate mattered for fucking growing grapes. Sure. You know, like, sounds reasonable. Right. So what happened was there were some studies where they did their best to control for different elements of terroir. Okay. Okay. Now, it's really hard to do because people don't 100% agree on what... Terroir means anyway. Right. Terroir is supposed to be like the sum of everything that the grip experiences in a place. Right. Right. So right. it's it's hard. Like, there's too many variables. It's hard to control them. Right. Right. So, you know, some studies basically tried to look at vineyards that are basically in the same place, like Napa Valley. Okay. And they have very similar layouts and stuff like that. And then they tried to be like, okay, the main thing differentiating these two is the kind of soil that's there. Like, this soil has more limestone in it, and blah, 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 all kinds of soil words that I don't know anything about. Okay. So, I read that study. Tough. Not one of the easier studies. Man, you're drinking scotch the whole way through. Huh? <laughs> well, so, what was interesting was they found that something like soil quality does have a chemical impact on wine. Okay. In that, despite these wines being grown in or these grapes being grown in the same year and experiencing, you know, the same rainfall and everything like that, the different types of soil resulted in both different chemical compositions and different taste profiles based off of taster opinions. Okay, wow. And what they largely attribute that to is that soil quality or soil type can have a lot of impact on, like, water retention, mm. usually called water stress is a very critical component in grape growing. Okay. In that either too much water or too little water can really alter how much sugar gets produced in the grapes, how many phenolic compounds and tannins are produced in the grapes. Right. And so because of that, they think even something just, how long does water stay in that soil? Mm -hmm. Some soil is more porous, the water gets in and it's out really quickly, right? So even if two places have the same rainfall, even, and the same number of hot days, same temperature, right? if one soil is more porous... You're going to have different grapes. That's cool. They could both be growing Pinot grapes, just slightly different soil. Yeah. I like the way you say Pinot. Pinot. It's perverse. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some other things. What they were trying to do was they were trying to compare places that have basically different climates, similar climates, different cultivars of grapes. They're trying to use a wide enough variety of vineyards to be able to 
you know, compare some of those things for terroir purposes. Cool. And one of the things that they found, the biggest, biggest contributing factor is what kind of grape you used. Right. Kind of obvious, right? Right. But they're like, let's get that out of the way. Okay. What cultivar of grape? Most important. But then after that, things like how you managed excessive heat and how you managed water stress. Okay. And when you harvested the grape. Right. Those were put together... I'd say a plurality of what explained the qualities of a wine. Right. Like it was something like 20 to 35%. Okay. And that's beyond climate is what I'm trying to say. It's like you you might think like, oh, climate is very important and climate can play into those ideas. But if places kept grapes out of excessive heat, it didn't matter if they were in kind of a cooler place or a hotter place. Right. So long as they kept them out of excessive heat. So long as they gave them the right amount of water. Right. So long as they harvested them at the right time. Those wines ended up being remarkably similar, even if they were in very different climates. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so I think what that goes to show is that there's maybe, when we talk about climate impacting wine, there's maybe other variables kind of hidden behind that, Mm. that are maybe better explainers for what makes a certain wine a certain way, Hmm. right? But climate still matters somewhat, right? I mean, like if we're talking how many hot days you have. Right. If you don't have any hot days, you don't need to worry about managing excessive heat. No. So, you know, I, I think it's, it still matters overall, but there's okay. these kind of background variables there. Right. So overall, I think terroir is like not necessarily a dumb idea. Right. right? I, it's I think, just a little broad and ill-defined. Right. And when people say like a Napa Valley terroir, like that was explicitly one of the things they looked at in the paper was two Napa Valley vineyards. And even though they're in the same place, they had different soil. Right. And that mattered. Right. right. So terroir can't possibly mean something like Napa Valley. Right. It must mean something else about the, you know, if you want to say the the holistic or cumulative experience of the grape, that mm. that could be real, but it might not be something you attach to a location. I do want to talk about holistic. Oh, fuck. I want to talk a lot about holistic stuff. Yes, well, it's time. It's time. Okay, our final section, we're going to be talking about organic and biodynamic wines. Cool. Wow. What a word, biodynamic. That sounds like it has a very strong foundation in in science. Yeah, yeah, in the show Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> the the big sort of pharmaceutical science megacorp is called Massive Dynamic. <laughs> Similar words. Just sounds like a huge <laughs> colon shitting. That's why it's good. Okay, so let's start with organic. People know about organic. And I've always been like a little confused how much of it is a brand and how much of it is rooted in anything that actually improves the quality of something. Yeah. Okay. Good question. So first of all, organic is something that is in most places governmentally regulated now. Right. Okay. So you can't just say organic. You need to actually be certified. The thing you need to be certified doing, I do not know how much that actually helps in all aspects of agriculture. Yeah, I think it's important as a disclaimer to say that you're paid for by the GMO lobby and and you do speak on behalf of GMOs. No, that's not true. Uh, Although I do like GMOs. I like Panda Express, so I think just, I don't know what that technically means about GMOs, but I must like them, right? Well, okay, so here's the thing about organic stuff. You should genetically modify a grape to taste like Butterfingers. (laughs) That would get that one sommelier. He would be so fucking... A plus, dude. Oh, he'd be nuts for that. James Suckling. <laughs> Tastes like Butterfingers. <laughs> 95. So, like, <laughs> one of the main things about organic certification is you you have to use 
things, chemicals and stuff like that, that are from natural products okay. and natural sources. Okay? okay. Now that can include chemicals that we make in a factory for cheaper in a much larger amount, but you sourced them from a plant somewhere or something. Yeah, right? That sounds dumb. So the chemicals don't even have to be themselves natural. They just have to exist naturally separately. And then they can just be made in a lab and be called organic. No, it's like the opposite, right? It's the opposite oh, in, okay. in that even if you can make them in the lab and therefore atomically they are the same fucking thing, okay. you need to source them from a natural product, which I think is useless. Right. Yeah, I think that, that doesn't mean anything. Silly. They're the same chemical. Right. Okay. Now, it also means that there are some chemicals that because there is no natural source, you cannot use. Okay. okay? And in some cases, maybe we shouldn't have been using those chemicals anyway. Well, so like that's Agent good. Orange or something? Sure. DDT. <laughs> yeah. DDT, Agent Orange. Yeah. LSD. Sure. Controversial. Well, <laughs> uh, that is a synthetic compound. I would say probably don't put that on my strawberries. <laughs> um, Too late. <laughs> I think that there's maybe some elements of the organic thing that makes sense. Okay. Okay. I think there's a lot of it that is just like senseless fear mongering over okay. the idea of like synthetic versus natural. Right. And then also it pits itself really specifically against GMOs. And I think GMOs are broadly neutral in that like as a concept, they're neutral and they could be good or bad. Right. And it's like, I don't think you should be against GMOs. Yeah, well, whether a plant has a gene because it was like bred through like intentional manipulation of just like which parent plants versus like just isolating a gene and putting it into a cell, like end of the day, I don't know what. It's still the same gene. Yeah, and sure. Yeah, I mean, that's for plants and that's a whole thing. But also yeast, for example, when you're in the winemaking process, to make an organic wine, you're not supposed to use genetically modified yeast. Yeast are very easy to genetically modify. Right. And very fun to. But here's some things about organic farming that I will say, okay? A lot of times with organic farming, the soil quality is better. Okay. It okay? has to be. And it's more biodiverse, right. okay? So I think that that is a positive aspect of organic farming. Right. You told me organic wines actually tend to score better yes. on like blind taste tests, probably because of that. Yeah, a few points better. And then the last reason that I think maybe is the biggest reason why you might see a big jump in quality with organic stuff in general is because of the attention you pay during the process of organic farming. Right. Okay. You need to be a lot more intentional in what you're adding to your plants. And a lot of times you need to be more careful because there's a lot of very powerful insecticides you don't get to use anymore. Right. Or very powerful fertilizers you don't get to right. use anymore. Right. So your technique is just a little bit sharper. And you need to pay a shitload of attention to your stuff. Okay. Mm. And in something like winemaking, more attention might actually be a thing that changes the quality a lot. Okay. Okay. So organic wines, they do score a little bit better. Okay. But let's take organic and then let's go one notch sillier. Right. And talk about biodynamic. Wine. Right. I mean, as Andre was saying earlier, bio, famous science word, dynamic, famous sciencey sounding word. Biodynamic sounds very sciencey, but you're telling me it's not. Well, it comes out of the 1920s. Sciencey time. Are, yeah, very sciencey time. Right. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald, the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take organic agriculture and you mix it with a large amount of the word holistic. Okay. <laughs> and then you sprinkle in astrology and magic. Okay. <laughs> you get biodynamic Interesting. So what, historically, why? What's up with that? Yeah, so there was this Austrian dude named Rudolf Steiner. Mm. And in the 1920s, he was running around. He was being an Austrian philosopher slash architect slash clairvoyant. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. And there were some people hanging out 
in a room and he just like burst in. He was like, let me tell you how to do agriculture. <laughs> so he, he had a philosophy, religion, movement thing called anthroposophy. Mm. Anthroposophy. Posophy. Anthroposophy. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, it's dead. It's like anthropology mixed with Sophie, right? Like the wisdom kind of thing. Basically, anthroposophy, yes. okay, kind of one of its fundamental tenets is that the spiritual slash magical world exists. Okay, so step one. Yeah, step one, magic and spirituality. Step one, suspend all disbelief <laughs> right. of that magic. Should, step two, like, profit. Well, it's, so it's like, that should exist. Fairies? Fairies f***ing exist, bro. Okay, so that's part one. But part two is that wisdom and knowledge and science are all a critical part of understanding the spiritual world. Okay. okay. So unlike some kind of more esoteric religious right. ideas where the spiritual world is something separate from the physical world right. and is unknowable in a certain sense. Right. This right? is not like a Monarchian worldview or like a fucking Platonist worldview. This is like material. Sure. Or like a Christian worldview right. where like God is immaterial and out there somewhere, right. you know, like, but like not like physically hanging out by the moon or right, something, right? right? Whereas in anthroposophy, yeah. it's like this shit is like physically real and like we can like measure it. Right. And we can use our minds and logic and rationality okay. to understand the spiritual world better. In his defense, people like Schrodinger and Heisenberg were saying some weird shit at that moment. Sure. Everything yeah. felt a little funny. Have you ever heard of Waldorf schools? Yeah, actually, yeah, totally. Yeah. Heard of a Waldorf salad. Same thing. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waldorf salad. It has like you apples get. and walnuts. Yeah, it's a in holistic it's really salad. <laughs> okay. Waldorf schools. I think in my mind they're mixed up with like Montessori schools or whatever. They're right. like places where kids can get educated when they're younger, right? right. Waldorf schools are anthroposophy schools. Wow. They were established using this philosophy. Crazy pants, man. So um, they just get the kids drunk online. Or? I think the, the the again the big word <laughs> is salads. Holistic. Yeah. Oh, right. So like, it's like, oh, young so they child. The kids holistic on one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drink wine, play the violin, and in between, you like learn a fraction or two. You know, it's like <laughs> you mix it all together. You do all the stuff, yeah. you go hunt some fairies. Right. Anyway, biodynamic agriculture, which is within this philosophy, is the idea that the entire universe is interconnected. Okay. Again, holistic. Right. The whole picture, it's all connected. And on one hand, there's an element of that that feels really good to me as a scientist because... Uh, we like systems analysis. Right. Systems level. Ecosystems. Yeah. Th things interconnected with each other in ways where when you try to do reductionist study of a single element, you might not get the full picture. Sure. Right? What you didn't expect was that that system included astrology. That system, right. system included magic. Right. It's like, where is Saturn? It's like, right. Saturn doesn't matter right now. Right. 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 Like, but it's part of the system, bro. <laughs> well, so that's the thing is... That's my problem with biodynamic is it takes the step then out of things that actually have like a causal connection. Right. Into shit that's like way out Just there. like raw pattern recognition, hermetic crap. So there is a lot of astrology stuff and lunar calendar stuff and right. things like the assigning of certain kind of day energies that you're supposed to use as a uh, calendar for when you do certain agricultural things. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know what I think is funny about that? I think even like medieval farmers would think that's just some crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what's interesting is there is a part of biodynamic agriculture that actually reminds me of something else called permaculture. Okay. 
permaculture is it's a kind where you of permanently burn off the permafrost and then just plant wheat there, right? No, it's it's actually almost the exact opposite. <laughs> no. it's, it's the idea that you want to create a farm that can be permanently established within the ecosystem. Oh, okay. So so that essentially you you know you're you're still having some productivity, you're still getting some products that you can use elsewhere on your farm or as sustenance or something, but it's built into the ecosystem so seamlessly that it really doesn't take very much work to upkeep. Mm. So there's an element of that. Yeah, that's but like then, Andre's house. Well, yeah. see, like that's like that's I a know perfectly mulching is very important for a lot of that kind yeah. of farming. Perfectly good idea. Add magic and astrology to it. Right. Suddenly, biodynamic. <laughs> right? So you know, <laughs> biodynamic stuff goes so far as to have a calendar for like when you should drink wine. Oh wow. Okay. It'll have like certain days where it's like, oh, you should avoid full-bodied wines because the energies are wrong today. Oh, I was gonna yeah. say it should. Always drink it on days that end <laughs> yeah. in Y, right? I was yeah. about to say, my, my calendar just says every night. Well, you'd be unhappy to know biodynamic calendars have days that are like, don't drink wine today. Wow. Yeah. Like, you know, I should probably get one. How progressive <laughs> and forward thinking. So, you know, that's the big problem. Okay. Biodynamic so so when a customer is like, do you have biodynamic wine? I spin their eyes. Like, Get well, out of here. You, you can tell like, them. Look at that moonlight. You think you should be drinking wine right now? <laughs> yeah. You, you can tell them. I probably don't. Yeah. Okay. Because biodynamic wines are very rare. I told right. you this at dinner, but my answer was always just to find the Greek bottle. <laughs> and just be like, here's a Greek wine. This, this wine has been blessed by the goddess Demeter. Yeah. 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 Well, well see, Demeter. There it is. The actual company, the organization that certifies vineyard as being biodynamic or any kind of farm as biodynamic is called Demeter. Yeah. No government does it. Coincidence? <laughs> yeah. So not a coincidence. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, usually any farm that certifies as biodynamic has already certified as organic. It's actually one of the requirements by Demeter is you need to already be an organic farm. Yeah. Which, fine. And look, a lot of biodynamic processes, the things that they do on the farm probably doesn't make it any worse. Okay. I don't think it makes worse wine. I think it's just a big waste of time. Right. One of the things that they see with biodynamic wines and vineyards that make it is compared to conventional agriculture. They usually use less water. They usually have a lower environmental impact from things like diesel fuel from using farm tools because hmm. they don't have any. Right. All manual labor. Right. And usually the yields are like 50 to 80% less. Right. Because it's all manual labor. So in that case, land use by agriculture is also potentially an environmentally detrimental thing. Right. So in that case, that's a negative of biodynamic farming is it's lower yield. Right. But, you know, basically, like, to me, if somebody wants to go through all the trouble, that's fine. But apparently consumers do not know what biodynamic means. Right. So it does not get you a premium. You don't get to sell your wine for more. Right. Because it has a little Demeter stamp on it. Yeah. That don't mean shit to anybody. Right. So basically, right yep. now, it's, it's not Just like to be reasonable. clear, are there any governments that regulate the use of the term biodynamic? Or is it just like this company? I, th I think there's two organizations that certify as biodynamic. And one of them has like a copyright on it and is like very serious about it. And that's Demeter. There's no governments that do it. Most because they barely figured out what organic was supposed to mean to them. And they're like... I don't know about astrology. Right. You know, like, I'm not stepping in there. I, it's don't, I don't like, feel like It's it. like an uncle you finally convinced gay is a real thing, and all of a sudden you throw bi at him. <laughs> it's just like, that's another 10 years. <laughs> like, how many kind of people do they like? <laughs> um, but Wait, uh, there's how many genders? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, basically, like, with the biodynamic thing, 
<laughs> they just do all kinds of shit that like also like if you're vegan, right? You can find vegan wines out there. Right. Again, not all wine is intrinsically vegan, which I was surprised by because I was like, it's f- grapes. Right. Like, what's the problem? Right. But some of them use gelatin, right, in the clarifying process. But a lot of biodynamic farms used cow horns. Oh. As like fertility things. Wow. So like they'll make something <laughs> kind of like mulch or something like that, right? Yeah. But they'll specifically pack it into cow horns and then bury them for a set amount of time and then dig them up and then spread them around the farm from the cow horn because the cow horn has like fertility powers, right? And like <laughs> that is both bullshit and makes it not vegan anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, like whatever, man. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> So, I bet a wine tasting tour, one of those places is like wild. <laughs> but you know, hey, if you're out there and you're you're a witchy kind of person, yeah, sure. right? You got that kind of astrology vibe. Biodynamic might not sound like it's up your alley. It actually really is. Yeah, I think they fucked up the branding. Yeah. I think they really should have reconsidered that witchy wines. Yeah, it should have been witch's brew or yeah. something. So if you're the kind of person that likes to burn sage, yeah. biodynamic wines are probably for you. If you can find them, they're probably the same price as organic wines. Right. So oh, drink it, I mean. Yeah. Well, guys, that's the wide world of wine. Yeah, I still feel like there's a lot of stuff I glossed over because I was tired. Yeah. And maybe someday we'll revisit and dig more into some of the aspects of wine. Right. If people are like, you didn't answer my question. Yeah, we can do a wine 2.0. But I think this got the job done, and I'm proud of us for doing that. Nah. Let's say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Brian, for art. Yeah, and you can hit us up at petridishpod at gmail.com and on Twitter at dishpodcast. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash petridish. I was thinking about getting us one of those, like, a buy me a coffee or coffee.com things do you know what i'm talking about no it's like a thing where so patreon is a subscription thing right right where it's like somebody's like oh i want to give these guys a dollar a month for some fucking reason but buy me a coffee is more like i want to give them a single dollar right and then never give them money ever again that's funny (laughs) so so like for that it's more like getting a tip or something like that yeah it's like a one-off kind of thing yeah i was thinking maybe doing that in case people find the subscription service daunting. They're like, right. I don't know if quality's gonna keep up. Okay. You know, so maybe, yeah, that, maybe I mean, we'll that could be fine. Yeah. Maybe we'll make one of those guys and pop it in there. Okay. All right. Well, you know, thank you everybody. Thank you for stopping in for this week in wine news. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. See ya. <laughs>